This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Talking One for the Team. I'm your host, Tom Kane, and in this podcast, I'll be talking to individuals from the sports and fitness industry and beyond. We'll talk to the experts in their field, aim to provide a 360-degree insight into their journey in the industry, find out what sports and fitness means to them, and the impact it can have on mental health. In today's episode, I talk to two of the most successful voices in the sports podcasting and broadcasting industry here in the UK. Sammy James is an ex-BBC Radio 1 producer who founded an award-winning football podcast in Fulhamish. Whilst his co-host in Jack Collins has built a unique audience who subscribe monthly to listen to his thoughts and hot takes on the state of football through Ranks FC. Here is Talking One for the Team with Sammy James and Jack Collins. How are you both getting on, guys? You okay? Yeah, good, thank you. Absolute pleasure being on, Tomo. Yeah, I mean, I think the pleasures were mine having two guests in your in your stature. I'm going to kind of start off with a really pleasant intro for you two. Don't get used to it. It's just uh, just for the audience. But today I'm talking <laughs> with <laughs> two individuals who are quite literally football podcast royalty. I always thought I had a pretty decent knowledge of the game of football until I got chatting to these two guys. So I'm fully expecting to get tripped up and embarrassed by some of the knowledge that these two have. The two experts in their field who are trailblazers in terms of the sports podcast industry here in the UK. It's a real honour to have my guests joining the show today. And I could say that these two have been mentors whilst I start my journey into the world of podcasting. Sammy James is an ex-BBC Radio 1 producer, the founder and one of the hosts of award-winning sports podcasts in Fulhamish. Sammy and myself are joined by someone who Sammy knows extremely well, Jack Collins, co-host of Fulhamish, ex-Bleacher Report, and more recently, Ranks FC founder and presenter. We'll be discussing their journey in the sports industry up until now, what sports and fitness means to them, and dive deep into what it takes to make a successful pod in an industry which is highly saturated. But before we start, in keeping with the name of the show, Talking One for the Team, I'm asking every guest at the start of the show 
which sports team has inspired you the most from any sport and any era and why? I'm going to start with Sammy, just to avoid any talk over. Sorry, Jack, your, your time will come. But yeah, Thanks, the question's mate. with you, Sammy. Well, I'm going to steal Jack's answer because we are both Fulham fans. Um, so I imagine that um, Jack would probably have this in his top three or four uh, sporting teams as well. It has to be the Fulham Europa League team that made it to the final back in 2010. A team of workhorses, a team that didn't have any bona fide star in the team, all coached brilliantly by uh, Roy Hodgson, uh, a returning hero who had triumphed abroad but was not recognised in his home country and took a small, let's be honest, championship league one level side in terms of stature all the way to a major European final beating the likes of Juventus, Hamburg, Wolfsburg, Shakhtar Donetsk on the way. So um, if that isn't a team that can inspire you and have added bonus that I was a fan of that team, then I don't know what team can. Very good. Very good. You have stolen my answer. Um, I, <laughs> I will I will retreat to country in, in, in lieu of club. Uh, and go. I will go for a team that actually existed before I did. Um, and I will talk about Ireland's World Cup team in 1990, Italia 90, and, and the effect that, that Jack Charlton had. I, I've been a little bit obsessed with Jack Charlton over the last year and a half uh, since his, you know, premature death it was a really sad occasion I think a lot of people were very sad in the UK they weren't as sad as they were in Ireland where Jack Charlton absolutely changed the face of football and I think it's such an inspirational tale and you go to the World Cup 99 and Ireland get knocked out in the quarterfinals to to Italy in a really really tight game against the hosts and you look at the footage from that game and it's in Rome and half of the stadium is in green. And you're like, what's going on here? Why, why have this country got behind a sport that is probably fourth or fifth in, in yeah. the Ireland kind of lexicon? You look at, obviously, the Gaelic games and you have the gar and you, the football and hurling. And then behind that, I would imagine rugby probably falls in behind. And, and then football is, you know, the fourth sport of quite yeah. a small little country. And the fact that Jack Charlton managed to not only inspire a nation bring a team of of kind of misfits in many ways if you will you know who were often born outside of the island and, and brought back into something that they dug back into and and really did and, and for you know someone born in England to do that in Ireland I think has has opened a gateway has opened a door and, and it really is something that, that I hang on to and you look at the, what that inspired what that achieved and and the kind of change in the perception of football from from before the Jack Charlton era to post Jack Charlton era, you know, and mm. and that that team inspires me hugely. Jack Charlton inspires me hugely, and that that's probably where I'd have to go in lieu of being able to use the Fulham <laughs> team, which Sammy's already nabbed. Yeah, well, I mean, look, I'll be honest. I expected the Fulham, uh, the Europa League team, I guess, to come up. I'm going to start with that one. I've mentioned to Sammy. I mean, not off air, but in previous conversations, I was actually at that. Fulham Juventus game I feel a bit I don't know uh, extra lucky that I'm not a Fulham fan but I was at probably probably your most famous win I'd, I'd like to I'd like to think yeah it was pretty 100%. special I was I was behind the goal when Clint Dempsey scored that chip in the famous 4-1 victory uh, and it, it was looking all down and out wasn't it after after they got the opening goal Juve and um, I've definitely got the program somewhere I think it's buried under my bed uh, and on my old Sony Ericsson, I've actually got a picture of Carlo Ancelotti, who was at the game as well. So they're kind of my favourite kind of yeah. key takeouts from that. And in ter- I guess in response to 
Jack, your answer about Jack Charlton. I know there was a documentary not too long ago that came out, wasn't there? I haven't actually watched it, yeah. but I heard a lot, a lot of good things. And and you're right. I mean, I've got Irish family on my mum's side. And yeah, I, I mean, football was never really seen as the big sport, I guess, in my mum and granddad's time and stuff like that. But how are you kind of seeing the state of Ireland at the moment? I mean, it doesn't seem to be doing too well, does it? I would say state is probably the word I would use. And that's, that's not, not a good use of it. It's, it's a funny one, look. And, and, and I think that there is this, there's this weird thing that happens sort of between Ireland and Scotland every sort of 10 to 15 years where they just switch places in the yeah. world of football. In the last 15 years, Scotland have been absolutely awful. Now they're returning and they're slight, starting to slightly turn that table. Ireland are now a long way behind them. I'm expecting this to continue for the next 10 years and then we'll just swap places again and, and that'll be that. And I don't think you're allowed to have the Tartan Army and the Boys in Green at the same events because I think it would <laughs> too much chaos it's like one of those things that the world that levels itself out yin and yang um but yeah look it's not in a particularly good state tom i'll be be perfectly honest with you it's it's a strange one where the excesses of irish football have been well documented in the last couple of years the fact that the the fai will run desperately badly there's very little talent coming through the ranks the strategy of basically using anything that had the granny rule now look you're speaking to an irishman born in england right so i'm, I'm not one to criticize the granny rule but if you're going to use it use it and instead ireland got a bit caught between stations and and really didn't sort of make the best of either and and now you're seeing a, a period where you can look at the spine of this england team right and you go kane Grealish, rice yeah, St- uh, Maguire, <laughs> Michael Keane, all could have played for Ireland if yeah. they had been, you know, smart. And and there were offers, you know, aside from maybe Harry Kane, who was, you know, blitzing things at the age where he probably would have been nabbed. There's an argument to make that all of those players could have been in green and Definitely. stuck in green early doors if Ireland had had the scouting network and, and knowledge to make that happen. And, mm. and instead, because it took so long to, to, you know, to fall that through, we're seeing that lineup for England in the Euros. And it's difficult. Look, I think Declan Rice has more questions to answer than anyone else here. I don't, you can line up three times in green, sing the anthem and then switch allegiances. If I'm being perfectly honest, I, I don't think that's fair, but I, that, that doesn't just apply to England. That applies to there are plenty of countries, you know, but I don't think there should be a point where you can play for one country, even if it's not in a competitive game and switch. It's just, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't, it doesn't add up, but, but that's the, the option that's there at the moment. Ireland have fallen foul of it in this, in this regard. And, Ireland football is in a in, in, in a bad way and, and yeah. needs some needs some serious TLC. It's going to take a while. Yeah, he I still mean, lives rent free in your head. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, rent yeah. free. Yeah. It, it, I think I've kind of gave, gathered that in the first couple of minutes of the pod. But as as Jack uh, sips on a Guinness, let me just tell the listeners. But um, Jack, I must say I commend your kind of uh, uh, love for football with the way things have been going with Ireland, and then something very close and to Fulham. your heart. Yeah, and all the other clubs I support who are also rubbish. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'm going to have to get two experts and I'm going to have to get your opinions on the state of Fulham at the moment. I'll be honest, I like Fulham as a club. I want them to stay up. I thought a couple of weeks ago there was a little bit of a resurgence and maybe a little bit of a chance that you guys were going to turn it around. And I don't know, it just seems to have fallen a little bit away. And now it kind of is looking like West Brom has got a bit of uh, momentum coming into the, to the last couple of games of the season. I'm sure you'll let the listeners of Fulhamish know these thoughts uh, inside and out, but I'd like to get your thoughts on the state of Fulham, Scott Parker, kind of the job he's done and his quilted, uh, quilted blazer. And yeah, kind of a little bit of an overview of how you see the season's gone. 
Yeah, it's disappointing. I think as we record it, like four or five weeks ago, we beat Liverpool at Anfield and it felt like a seismic result and one that was going to launch Fulham to comfortable safety, not just safety. And now we're in a position where I think we're relying on other teams, really, aka Newcastle, to not get results. And I'm not 100% sure that will happen. And I think the last four games, as we speak, Fulham have really messed things up. It goes without saying, really, that I think a lot of it is about the style that Fulham have and particularly going forward, sometimes how toothless we look. And we have looked fairly strong defensively all season. And that is one thing. And that is an important thing to give yourselves a chance of getting out of a relegation battle. But if you can't score a goal or two every now and again, you won't win enough football matches to, to get across the line. And I think a lot of it is risk reward. And sometimes Parker hasn't taken enough risks and therefore hasn't got enough reward. But also sometimes that lack of risks meant that Fulham have occasionally come up trumps, but not often enough that I think is going to see Fulham over the line. And recruitment's been okay this year. It's actually not been that bad. I think some of our team is fantastic and better than maybe four or five other teams in the league that are going to be comfortable this season. But most of those teams have experienced managers. And sadly for Scott, as good as I think he will be, he is still an inexperienced manager. And I think that has shown at times. I'm sure Jack can put things pretty eloquently as well into what the situation is. Yeah, I think it is, it's a case of a uh, Fulham not, Sammy said risk and reward there, and I think that's spot on, right? I, I think there are levels to this where you look at some of the results that Fulham had in January and, and, and early February, and you look at the Brighton game, you look at the West Brom game, and they were the ones that Fulham were expected to pick up points in. Now, we didn't pick up points in those two games. Well, we, we got two draws in, in games that a lot of people were saying, these are must win or we're out of this. And then two weeks later, you go beat Everton at Goodison, beat Liverpool at Anfield. And everyone's like, oh, it's fine. It's completely fine. We just ignore the fact that we didn't pick up the wins in the games we needed to win because we've randomly won two games that nobody was expecting us to win. And I think we're pretty much in exactly the same position. You know, we've looked at the Villa game, the Leeds game, the Wolves game, and you go, right, there were nine points there available and Fulham have taken none of them. And when you... Then put that forward to playing Arsenal at the weekend, play Chelsea the weekend after that. If Fulham now go out and pull out six points against Chelsea and Chelsea and Arsenal, everyone's going to be having exactly the same conversation that we were having after the Liverpool and the Everton games. And so yeah. it just seems to come in a cycle. But I don't know if Fulham have now just been beaten to the canvas one too many times to get up again. Uh, yeah. And it because it feels like it has been a season of of undulating expectations. And look, if you'd offered us 17th on goal difference at the start of the season, we'd have bitten your hand for, off for it. We'd take that right now exactly the same. But in the midst of all of that, there's been all of these, oh, we're finished 12th. Oh, we're going to finish bottom. And, and yeah. it's just, it, it continues to just, just roll on. So look, Fulham are Fulham. Uh, the party's called Fulham-ish for a reason because, you know, there, there, there's a reason that Adama Traore hasn't scored a goal for 16 months <laughs> in the Premier League. And and yeah. where does he decide to get his first one in the 93rd minute against Fulham at the weekend? That's life. That's life as a Fulham fan. And, and you know, we crack on. Yeah, I mean, I think all three of us, you guys down, at, down in the relegation zone, both of you know that I'm an Arsenal fan. And this season probably has been a little bit similar to you, I guess, in terms of ups and downs. A lot of downs. It's been pretty tough watching and tough going, especially before Christmas. That We're just kind of all hopes on Thursday now. If that kind of falls away, the Europa League, I think I kind of just switch off from football until the Euros. And we are going to come on to the Euros. I want to, I want to talk about that because it seems to be the topic. On... It'd, be, it'd be great if you won on Thursday. Yes, it'd be great I if you won, just because it would mean that you wouldn't be able to field a full strength team on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, there we go. So we're all, we're all Arsenal fans on Thursday night, and that's nice to know. Um, we are indeed. Uh, exactly. But, but yeah, I, I mean, look, I've, I've kind of talked about you two being experts in the Fulham field. I want to talk about kind of both of your journeys into sports podcasting and broadcasting. I'm going to give the floor, Jack, kind of your inspirations into getting into the industry, how you got started, background of basically your, your career in the industry. Yeah, I mean, my hero is Sammy James. No, I'll um, give it <laughs> But look, look, there's a there's a lot going on here. I mean, I went to to, to uni to do English, and I, and I did literature, and and I worked on the radio, and I did journalism. Was a music writer, ran the music ed- section of the of the newspaper at uni. I always thought I'd be a music journalist, and I came out of uni and tried to do radio things, and it just you know it was. It was Ticking along nicely. I did little bits for Radar, the odd thing for sort of Bellamy mm-hmm. and, and here and there. But but actually it was it was one of those things that wasn't really ticking. And I'd messaged Sammy when I was at uni, basically, when he became the Fulham radio host, basically like, do you need a co-host? And he was basically like, no, go away. <laughs> it um, wasn't no go away. <laughs> I didn't ha- I didn't really pull the sh- call the shots, but I was definitely like, no, go away. He was like, who's this little yappy little... I remember <laughs> messaging him because I knew he worked at Absolute being like, I could be the Richie Firth to your Christian O'Connell. And he was like, yeah, all right, mate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but when, when Sammy left Fulham... He messaged me back, being like, "Hey, I'm doing a podcast. Would you like to be part of it?" And I was like, "Yeah, I don't really know what podcast is, but yeah, cool, cool, let's do it." And and it all kind of went from there. And, and I think at that point, I was working sort of as a as a writer, doing sort of various things for different people. And that was the point that completely changed my trajectory. I, I basically didn't stop applying for music jobs, but at that point, and after about six months of doing Fulhamish and really kicking off and becoming a bit of a thing was when everything changed and I suddenly started being like maybe I could do this because I'd always written about football I was a football you know I was captain of uh, of clubs uh, when I was at uni and I used to write football match reports as a, like as kind of just like oh I like doing this I enjoy it I, I don't really yeah. think about it and it was only once I started doing analysis thinking about football full-time that I really shifted my pattern completely and was like maybe I could apply for for football jobs and the next few years is a well-trodden story but the next few years I applied for 346 jobs across a couple of industries and Bleacher were the first people that gave me an interview and then from there I took that interview I walked into that interview the interviewer was an Irish Fulham fan so that was that was good you know sometimes you get moments that are meant to be right and uh, and that was one of them I think and so I went in there did social for a year and then was like guys you should do a podcast and they were like mm, not sure so I started a world cup podcast by myself with Sam and Dean and mm. after they listened to that they were like oh we should do a podcast and I was like yeah and so yeah we basically kicked the door down in that way started ranks and from there you know left Bleacher Report last October and started ranks FC and look I'm incredibly lucky I've been brought around with with people around me but I do think that it's one of those things where to, to make it in in this industry you have to be unbelievably lucky you have to have an incredible drive to succeed and and that's it look 346 job applications great fantastic anyone could do that though anyone could do 346 job application not many people want to do 346 job applications because it's it's rubbish and it's boring and it's not particularly enjoyable as a process especially when you get knocked back time and time and time and time again even without getting an interview and, and that's maybe it right it's not necessarily being rejected it's being rejected without being 
let me show you what I can show you. Like, let me mm. show you w- what, what I can do. And then you, if you reject me after that, fair enough. But yeah. like up to that point, it feels like you're just being like, how do I even get my foot in the door? I was lucky enough to get my foot in the door. And then when you get your foot in the door, you have to kick it down. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like that was, that was the point. And there's so many people who are stuck in, in, in places that they don't, they want to be in the, in, in the, in the industry. And there's loads of people who are in, in social and, and in app and in programming and all of these things who are in there. And they're like, oh, I want to do something else. So I'm like, well, you have to kick that down or you don't get moved on. And yeah. look, I'm grateful that when I left Bleacher, Dean and Sam were willing to come with me. You know, they mm. both got massive social reaches. They, mass- they both have, you know, knowledge of the industry. They both have been in the game a lot longer than I have but I think you you fight that by you know you you, you earn that respect you earn that trust and, and so that's been my story it's been kind of you know if you work if you work at it and you get the slice of luck you need that's the key but it is a bit of both right it is a, is a bit of both I think the key from Jack's story though there is is Bleach Report said no I don't we don't want to do a podcast and a lot of people would have just heard that and gone that's shit Bleach Report are annoying how how dare my manager be like that but actually rather than just sit back and sulk like a lot of people do when they get a knockback from their company jack thought okay what can i do i'll make a podcast that's got nothing to do with bleach report but i'll use maybe a couple of the people that i want on it and then force them into effectively going oh, okay a lot of people need to be shown that something's good before they'll let you do it and i think a lot of people you know, and it goes for a lot of things in the 21st century. A lot of people want to be on TV. Have you ever made a YouTube channel? Why do you want to be on BBC One, but yet you've never made a YouTube channel to, I don't know, your thousand friends on Instagram or whatever? You want to be a radio host. Why have you never done a podcast? It's, it's always my first question to a lot of people. And okay, some circumstances mean that it's not that easy to do such a thing or whatever. But I, I think it's such a key thing now in, in the 21st century in the media landscape is that you want to do something, the tools are there for you to do it. There are no more stakeholders. Yes, there are big stakeholders if you then want to go to the next level and be Mark Chapman. Mm. But if Mark Chapman, Kelly Cates, all of those were starting out now and were 21, they'd have a YouTube channel and a podcast because they'd yeah. see that that was the way to do it. It didn't used to be like that. It used to be a lot of sending demo tapes and it still is a bit like that if you want to get into the media industry. Mm. But Jack has built himself a brand effectively without anyone ever giving him a hosting job. Okay, yes, Bleach Report initially gave him a platform. It helped and he was inside a company, but he had to show to them first. And that's always something that I tell to people when they want to get into this industry. There's a couple of points I wanted to, to pick up on there. I think... One, Jack, kudos to you for, I mean, the thought of getting that amount of rejection from job applications seems quite like scary. And I imagine a lot of people after even like something like 10 would probably go, you know what, this is not for me. It's not right. What were those kind of thoughts that, that when you were getting these rejections and, and dealing with that kind of, I guess, hardship, right? It's not nice to be told, no, it's not, you're not right for something. Uh, it could be a bit disheartening. How did you kind of push back against that? Did you always have that clear vision in your mind of, no, I'm right for this and that kind of inner belief, I guess? Yeah, I think so. I've been hosting forever. Is the truth, you know? Like, you know, even at school talent shows and and things like that. And it was like, well, you know, they're not the same. I'm not suggesting that being on, you know, camera, being on radio is the same as as, as standing up in front of a thousand people. It's the same concept, right? You're putting yourself 
on a limb out in front of people and you have to try and entertain them. It, it's not a million miles away. And I have obviously a theatre a theater background, all of, all of these kind of elements to it. And, and so I, I never was particularly put off. And, and look, I think the weird thing is that what I said earlier about it, you know, you're not getting to interview and, you know, it feels like you're being knocked back off a piece of paper. I think that might have helped me because I was like, right, I know that if I get to interview, I'm going to be fine because I guarantee that I back myself at that level. As long as the interview isn't for something that I have no idea about. And I did do it. I went for an interview at Tech Radar and they were like, "Uh, what do you want to do? And I was like, I just don't want a job writing about something that isn't like getting students into into law schools because I don't know. And they were like, do you know much about technology? I was like, no, not really. I'll be honest. (laughs) And they were like, right, we're going to give you this quiz. And I just didn't know any of the answers. And I was like, I don't know if I'm right for this job. (laughs) And they messaged back me like, we really liked your enthusiasm, but like, what? (laughs) And I was like, right, okay, maybe I need to like narrow my scope a little bit. But I was pretty convinced that when I got an interview with something that I knew about, Mm. I'd be fine. And it, yeah. it, it came to pass, you know, that, that Bleach Report interview was the first interview I got for something that I was like, I backed myself to actually take this job. And so I think that helped me. I do think that the, the actual, while it's easy to be like, this is annoying that no one will even get me in front of them to, to have a conversation. The flip of that is, well, if I was in front of them, I think I'd be able to convince them that I'm the right person for the job. And I, was, yeah. I kind of lived by that motto that I was like, once I get in front of people, I'll be OK. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and so it came to pass. And I think that that probably helped me out. I think that's like a mindset probably at the moment pretty poignant for a lot of people. I don't know, maybe some of the listeners out there have lost jobs in the last year. It's been a really difficult time. I know friends and, and examples of people who have been constantly being knocked back from from job interviews and and sometimes not even even get that kind of well the virtual face-to-face I guess and yeah it can be very disheartening so I'm hoping that some of the listeners out there will hear your story of 346 it was interviews or job applications and and finally reaching that right correct one and kind of draw some inspiration from that I guess Sammy for you when you were talking about well I guess both of you were talking about that luck I think I've been very lucky to meet you two when I was starting to set up this podcast right me and Jack went to school together but couple of years difference but yeah i've been very lucky to meet two guys and you two who are look you're experts in the field right you're trailblazers you're both involved in fulhamish which has got huge social following some of the guests what i'm kind of learning with this podcast is right is the access to the guests is i think the hardest part other than the editing i'm useless at editing takes me a long time to edit my shows but i'm getting there with some time that's just that's just learning do you know what i mean that's just exactly none of us could none of us could edit before we learn to edit and, and, and Sammy will say the same, like I learned to let, edit on Audacity when I was putting together my radio shows from uni. It wasn't like, a, oh, I know how to do this and it's a natural thing to me. And I was, mm. Sammy will tell you the same. He, you know, learned to edit, I'd imagine slightly before he started at LSR. But, but you know, it was kind of a job, you know, learning on the job. I learned to edit because I thought the jingles that we were given on student radio were rubbish and I wanted to make my own and it was a necessity, right? I just learned when I I didn't go on a course or anything. I was just like one day, crap, I need to learn how to make these jingles sound better. Okay, I'm going to have to go on um, YouTube and eventually you learn things. I I think, yes, of course, you could go on a course for two weeks and teach yourself the basics of audio editing, but often it's a a necessity. And still these days, I've rarely sit down and actually learn something just for the sake of it. I just learn because I'm like, 
crap, I need to edit this video in this certain way today and I need it to be square and I've never done a square video. How do I make a square video? Right, okay, now that's another string to my bow. It's never because I've thought one day, oh, I've got a del- I've got a dumb day. What should I do? Oh, I'll learn how to make a square video today. It's always out of necessity. And you'll have the same thing with this podcast. You're just, you're learning because you've said that you're making an episode on Thursday and people are expecting it and therefore you have to because you haven't got a yeah. choice. Exactly. I know obviously this podcast I've been talking about a lot about mental health and kind of I guess giving yourself responsibility was a theme that me and uh, last week's guest Shane yeah. talked a lot about. And I guess what you were saying just then, Sammy, I can relate it to, I guess, to losing dad and I guess to being on those uh, periods of furlough in terms of sometimes you have to be taken outside of your comfort zone, but then you put yourself in positions where you allow yourself to grow. If you told me on on New Year's Eve of 2020, after the year we'd had, obviously standing here talking to you guys on 13th of April, two guys who have done incredibly well with their podcasting and their sports broadcasting and radio producing, and I'm here producing my own podcast, I would have laughed to away. It was something that I never was was kind of conscious of or had a, a thought about, but I put myself on that course uh, that our friend and your cousin Jack has run in the School of Breakouts. And it challenged me. It, it kind of made me look at things in a different way and made me realize what was important. And it was about getting my story out there about the trials and tribulations I've had in terms of losing dad and my, I guess my mental struggles and how much of an enthusiasm I have for sport and, and fitness. So I'm really pleased with how everything's been coming along. And I, I think I'm really, really lucky and, and privileged to have you guys on the show. I also wanted to kind of, I guess, touch on some of your guests. I mean, you've had Tony Calm on Fulhamish, which is pretty incredible. As an Arsenal fan, we very rarely get depends, to hear... Depends, a... how you, depends how you look at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, not a, it's not a universally popular moment of uh, Jack and I's broadcasting career, if we're being totally honest. <laughs> it was, but it was a big guest, you're right. It was a big right. guest, yeah. Huge guest. Having a vice chairman of a football club, I mean, look, there's obviously everyone's got gripes with their football owners, a lot of them. I know I have my gripes with the ownership at Arsenal and Silent Stand, but... Maybe talk to the guests about how something that monumental for a, look, you're not an official podcast of Fulham, right? You're an unofficial like fan podcast and you managed to get the vice chairman of your football club on that pod. Kind of talk us through that and how you went about that, I guess. It was a long process over years, actually, to to kind of get to a stage before that interview. We kind of, I don't really remember how Jack and I met Tony, but he started talking to us, I think. Or at some point we put the feeders out there for an interview and it took a preliminary chat with Tony six months before when we went to meet him. And we didn't chat about the interview. We just chatted about Fulham, trying to kind of build up some kind of relationship with him so that he felt comfortable enough to come and do a podcast and yeah it was a seismic moment Uh, and I think it's the real only moment of Fulhamish where I felt like every Fulham fan or certainly a lot a lot of Fulham fans decided they had to listen to our podcast a lot of Fulham fans listen to our podcast a lot of them listen to it every week but there was a lot of Fulham fans that had that listened to that episode that have never listened to Fulhamish before and quite a lot of them probably haven't listened listened since Yeah. yeah because it was like a need to hear this and that was very exciting we knew it was going to be the case I think we learned a lot from that interview I certainly have I think that in hindsight I think that we were quite soft on him I don't think we asked the toughest questions we were placed into a scenario though where we didn't have full control over the interview either because we had his PR person 
telling us, us you know what we maybe couldn't ask what uh, directions that we couldn't go i've since which, which, le- is, which to be fair is quite common, common. it's not a, that that's not unheard of in fact it's incredibly heard of it, but at the time it was our first experience of something like that i think it was you know i i've since had it loads with with ranks for example where you have to send something off for approval they send it back they're like we want this bit out this bit out this bit out but as kind of an independent i think it was the first time that sammy and i had experienced anything like that and we were like right this is different very different and the backlash that came back for being soft was almost as like hang on we didn't get you know, editorial freedom, we wanted to do all these things. Everything was very controlled, which is fine. But, you know, people, I think, expect like you to be like, oh, we'll just release an interview and they'll come and do an interview with you, whatever you ask them. And that's yeah. just not the case. That's not how that's not how things work. And yeah. and I'd love it to be the case. I, honestly, if, if footballers could come and speak honestly to me, if coaches could come and speak honestly to me, I think we'd all have a much better time. But it's just yeah. not how it works. You have to accept that sometimes. Be like, look, this is the best thing that we could get in the circumstances. And I'm still incredibly proud of that interview, despite the fact it's quite divisive. I mean, a lot of people were, were supportive of it as well. I think it's important to say that there was a silent majority and whatever we'd have done on that podcast. I think when you have someone of that high profile that's that divisive, we could have honestly delivered the hardest hitting news night interview and there would have been people saying, oh, you went too hard on him and stuff. Like whatever we'd have done, we'd have um, we'd have been in trouble. I learned a lot from that process of like, okay, actually, I would set my stance out a bit harder with the PR people. I would... I learned a little bit what it's like to be a journalist and what it's like when people are saying to Laura Kunzberg, why didn't you ask Boris Johnson the tough questions? No, That's hang on, I'm not, not letting Laura off the hook. I'm <laughs> not, but like at the end of the day, that is what a real journalist kind of gets under pressure. When you're in those, you know, heat of the moment interviews with someone of real divisive power, people want you to ask tough questions, but it's not always as easy as that because there's a lot of people behind the scenes trying to protect their image as well and it's very rare that you get a no holds barred interview like yeah. it's very very rare and and like the prince andrew stuff that happened last year um uh, with emily Maitlis, where it was a no holds barred interview and look at what the car crash that was yeah. as uh, like for prince andrew not for the bbc emily Maitlis did amazing out of it but it's very rare you get that complete access to somebody they're, and they're not going to be giving that anymore let's <laughs> no no <laughs> No, I, I don't think so uh, either. And like, I guess you could even talk about like the Harry and Meghan interview on ITV and there was kind of feedback yeah. about how that was kind of received. But you're right. And I, I've got two questions to kind of ask or, or, or two points I wanted to make on that, I guess. How did the feedback... Look, you're, you're never going to please everyone, right? I'll be honest, my biggest reservation doing this podcast was the feedback that I was going to get from whoever listened to it, right? People from school, people from like family members, just friends in general and... I guess like social media, we're kind of seeing a lot of that at the moment with the the abuse that footballers are getting and there's talk of boycotting on social media and stuff like that due to the racial racial abuse some of the Premier League players are getting at the moment. I guess how did that kind of feedback make you feel? How did you kind of counteract that kind of negativity if there was negativity getting thrown your way? Yeah, I mean, look, it's the John Lidgate quote, isn't it? You can please some of the people all the time. You can please 
all of the people some of the time, but you can't please all the people all of the time. Like it's as yeah. simple as that. Like we make a podcast with we're, we're Fulham fans first and foremost. And when Fulham is started, it was five Fulham fans sat around a room chatting about Fulham. We don't just, we don't even agree with each other. So I have mm. no idea how anyone thought they could always agree with us. You know, they're, yeah. they're, and we were always quite happy to be like, you don't have to agree with us. This is us chatting about what we think. It doesn't matter if you disagree with us. There's no, and we get this a lot. You know, the, the people comment on, on social media and whatever, I think, and, and they're like, oh, Fulhamish are pushing this angle. And I'm like, no, 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 there's no hive mind. Sammy doesn't send a group message out to everyone saying, this is what you must think. And if you don't think this, you're not allowed in Fulhamish anymore. There's a lot of people within the organization that have a lot of different opinions about a lot of different things. And we wouldn't want it any other way. I don't mm. think, you know, we want lots of people to disagree. All we want is people to be reasoned with their arguments yeah. and be able to accept that sometimes people are going to disagree with you, right? Like that, that's all that you can ever ask of anyone. Okay, look, not everyone's going to agree with you. And look, I've had highly controversial things, far more controversial things than Sammy probably have ever has on, on the podcast. And a lot of people disagree with me. And, you know, look, we've had people come up to us at games, we've had people square up, we've had people try and start fights. And, wow. and sometimes you've got to just accept that because you're like, well, I've said something that's upset people and that's fine. And, and, and sometimes I think maybe you think about it and, and, and that experience, I suppose, it made me think like, okay, what we're saying does have an effect, like a big effect. And, and look, that can be used for really good things. And, and, and if someone gave me the opportunity to do that whole thing again, I would be exactly the same. I wouldn't have changed a thing. I would say exactly the same statements because I believed they were true. And all I've ever done is gone and, and tried to speak my truth to what the football team is, the experience I've had at the games, et cetera, mm. et cetera. People often forget that these things can have an effect. And so we have learned that maybe it's sometimes best for us to bite our tongue. But I don't think that we would be doing, you know, we will bite our tongues on things that we don't think matter. Right. Mm. That, that's the key. Right. If something matters to us and we've burned most of our bridges with the club because we believed that ticket prices were too high and the club hated that. that we stood up and we were like, no, nah, we don't want it. We, we mm. think that you are killing the next generation of Fulham fans. We think that you are basically, if you've got a 50 quid ticket at Fulham and a 50 quid ticket at Chelsea and the grounds are 15 minutes walk apart and you have the opportunity to go to one in the championship, one in the Premier League, there is absolutely yeah. no chance you're going to breed another generation of Fulham fans. And we thought that was wrong. And so we said no. And look, that's not been a great thing for us in the long mm. run in terms of our relationship with the club. We don't really have one anymore. Mm. But at the same time, would I do it again? A hundred percent. I wouldn't bite my tongue because I care about that issue deeply. As a yeah. Fulham fan, I want to see the next generation come through. And I think it's it's only fair that we stand up for what we think we believe in. Now, there are a lot of people that say, you don't stand up for this, you don't stand up for that. But I can only speak my own truth, right? And some will say exactly the same, I'd imagine. You can only speak the truths that we feel. And if we feel something's wrong, we'll stand up for it. And, and that's what we've come to, I think. Yeah, I think you learn over time what's worth sticking your neck out for. And sometimes you're like, I, I said something earlier this season about like how Tom Kearney like gloated about a performance on social media after we lost. And uh, 
I said something. I actually regretted it afterwards because I got a backlash and I was thinking, shit, out of all the things I want a backlash for, it's not this. I I didn't actually care that much. And since then, I've gone like, actually, sometimes it's not worth sticking your neck on the line because actually some things aren't important enough. But as Jack said, the ticket price protest, it wasn't important enough. We stuck our neck on the lines. It wasn't universally popular. But when you have something you truly believe in, you don't massively care if it's not 100% popular because at the end of the day, you're, you're passionate about it. I think in terms of just like general like people commenting on you and stuff online i think it's really easy for people to come on and say oh just don't look at it just don't look at it and just ignore everything that anyone says about you that's negative and that is one way of going about it i don't always think it's the best i like looking at what people say i like looking at some of the, the negative comments i think that they make you sometimes a better person but you have to you have to be measured about it and kind of know what you're playing with. You're playing with fire. You're playing a really dangerous game when you start kind of either interacting or like looking for feedback that could be negative, right? Mm. I do it. I occasionally have a look around and I, I Google like Fulhamish and just see if like there's much being said about us because I'm interested to see what that feedback is. And generally, I do well off of it, but you do have to know what you're doing because obviously you can get down a rabbit hole of looking at comments about yourself online and it can get really, really toxic and dangerous. And yeah, that would be my one advice. But also, I just I don't always love the answer. Just don't look at it. Just ignore it. And it's like haters are haters. And sometimes people have just like good feedback that's negative. And I think it's important to sometimes take that on board. But yeah, you really... You also sometimes just have to realize like there's been people I've like argued with online Mm. and after a while I've just realized, okay, you just hate everything I do. You're not here just to be constructive about it. You just hate everything I or we or Fulhamish or whatever I do does. Mm. Then, then, then it's pointless. Then you're just like, okay, you doesn't like me. Let's leave it at that. Um, And, you know, sometimes I just block them in the end because I'm just like, you're not ever you're not ever going to say something constructive you're just literally here to hate on what i'm doing and what's the point yeah and you know what this is a bit like i hadn't really thought about this but i i used to grow up wanting to be a footballer probably like most young people right that or was, most, yeah most of us look, did. most of us maybe all three of us here grew up wanting to be a, a, a footballer or a sports person whatever <laughs> i knew I from a pretty early age <laughs> that was never going to be the case though. yeah <laughs> uh, uh, well, I don't know, Sammy. You said you're out on a golf range in a couple of days, so maybe maybe there's a late career change coming. Yeah. But I I think now growing up, like I think about it, the amount of abuse and I guess like all eyes on you of being a professional athlete. I don't know if I'd want it. I'm thinking now if like the, I hear some of the abuse that some of these footballers and sports stars and personalities get, and I just think is it worth it? Obviously, they're very well compensated, but I think it's a shame that social media has got to this kind of because the impact it can have on people's mental health is just like it's tough right and I can see why look we're looking for authenticity in our sports stars and our athletes but I can completely understand why they just hand over their social media accounts to an agency or someone else to look after because why would I want to sit there and just be abused for a performance look you can have a bad game of football right I, I love I'm as passionate about Arsenal as anything but I understand that look they're all trying to do their best the majority of the time why Why would I then want to go and read negative comments about me and social media and stuff like that? And look, the impact it can have on mental health, I don't think should be underestimated. And I'm glad now that there seems to be this kind of boycotting that's going on. I think the social media companies need to have, I think they need to kick up the arse. And and this this is me speaking to you two guys who have incredible reach on social media. Um, so I'm kind of interested to hear your thoughts on that as well. 
Yeah, it's, it's a weird world social, isn't it? It's almost like a, it's, it's the Wild West in, in so many ways. And look, don't get me wrong, I've been critical of people on social media in plenty of ways. I think there's a way to be critical. And, yeah. and we talk about this quite a lot on ranks because we have, we have a thing called Melon of the Week, right? <laughs> and, and it comes from a, an old thing at Walsham and, uh, Walton and Hersham where club, they used to bring a melon down and a loudspeaker and they'd announce to the players who was the Melon of the Week every single game on the 80th minute, right? And it became this kind of funny thing. And, and Dean tells us, I wasn't there, obviously, but, you know, but Dean tells us it came through him and he was like, it used to be really funny. And the player at the end of the game, unless something really bad had happened, would often come and collect the melon. <laughs> Yeah. And they be like, it's like quite a funny thing. And so that's it. You can be critical. And look, you have to be critical because this is this is the game, right? And mm. and at the same time, like if you put yourself in a in a in a public spotlight, in the same way that if an artist in music releases an album and it's not critically acclaimed and it's critically panned, that's kind of what you set yourself up for by releasing albums, right? You yeah. can't you can't be like, oh, I don't like it because people other people didn't like what I created. Like, okay. Fine. Mm. Like you, you've put yourself into a public sphere to, mm. to do something that a lot of people care about, whether that be music or football or whatever it is. You know, there's a difference between that and somebody getting genuinely abused for for no reason. And I think exactly, that yeah. it's not I actually think the boycott is is not enough, if I'm being perfectly honest. I actually think that and, and I was reading a, a really good article on this by a guy called Crippy Cook earlier on. And it's like, actually, if you want to weed this out, you've got to get your hands dirty. You can't, you can't stand there and be like, oh, we're just not going to engage. Because trolls aren't, you know, put off by that. In fact, if anything, they're empowered because there's less yeah. people kicking off. And, and actually, yes, it, it stops them having a platform, you know, on Swansea's channels to give abuse to people. But it doesn't stop them giving abuse. It just stops them giving abuse on that channel at that exact time. And, you know, I have a load of friends who constantly take much more abuse than I will ever know. And and Mm. that one makes me incredibly sad. But but two, it means that I don't, you know, I can't on a personal level comprehend it. You know, Sammy and I can get abuse, but like nowhere near the levels that like my friends like Rambo and Jordan and will, will all take on a weekly basis for something like the color of their skin or the fact that they are female in in the game of football and that's so bleak it's such a yeah. bleak concept that we can't currently do anything about and it, it, there's so much that needs to be done and it's not about id cards and mm. it's not about linking passports to people's because that's a dangerous game as well and i don't want to go yeah. into the, the ins and outs of what that is right but it's about the fact that Facebook and Instagram and Twitter do not care and nor do the Premier League. And let's have this right. They don't really, because how easy is it to monetize hate? It's really easy. It's really, really easy to monetize hate. And you can see it in your politics. You can see it in football. You see it everywhere. But it's really easy. And the truth is that if they wanted to stamp this out, they'd be doing far more about it. I actually have quite a strong opinion on how social media platforms could actually fix themselves. And I've come really close to tweeting this about 12 times. And actually, every time I've done it, I've thought it's too hard to explain over tweets. I think that all of this talk about ID cards is a non-starter. I get where people are coming from. I can see how it could work. But in a reality of a worldwide social media, you know, how are you going to verify the idea of someone from Syria who is using Twitter 
to report on human rights violations anonymously. How are you going to ask them for an ID? It's it's preposterous, right? It's impossible. Is is a British passport got the same weight as some ID of someone from Papua New Guinea? No, it doesn't. So how on earth can you police a worldwide forum? What I think the problem is, is social media in a way is actually more democratic than our society. And it gives too much power to people that haven't proven themselves in a community, right? If Jack or I said something abusive or racist or whatever, we couldn't do it. Even if we wanted to, we could, it all felt it inside. We, we couldn't because I'd be sacked. So with Jack, no one listens to his podcast. I, I actually employ myself and I would still, sack, <laughs> I I was, I'd still sack myself. <laughs> because effectively our position in the community of Twitter, Facebook, Instagram is known, right? Particularly on Twitter, our jobs are there and everything else like that. We've been on the platform for 12 years. We are as close to as a trusted user of Twitter as you can get, right? Yet someone who starts an account with zero followers, zero following two days ago has the same rights to post as we do. And what I think Twitter and Instagram needs to do is to trust their more loyal users and some kind of ranking. I don't know how you do this, but I'm sure it's possible to moderate the site. And I think it's preposterous how, you know, a professional footballer with a verified account can't say to Twitter, this is racist. And Twitter goes, all right, we'll think about it. What do you mean we'll think about it? And then some half the time comes back and says, oh, it doesn't actually break our violations or whatever. And you're thinking, what? And actually, you know, someone that's got a, a, an account of zero for zero days, zero followers, zero following, should not just have the rights to post whatever they want. If they're suddenly posting a racist word or using a monkey emoji and they set up their accounts two days ago, there should be some alarms ringing at Twitter thinking this guy looks like a bad egg. We should be checking this guy immediately. Yeah. And I yeah. don't understand why those systems can't be in place. It gives just as much respect to the people that are just on the platform, you know, bots, whatever, as the people that have been on there for 15 years and would lose our livelihoods if we said the same thing. Mm. And so that is, I think, something that much brighter people than me need to start realising is the power of a crowd, because that's how people stop posting things. It's what stops people in the streets, even though they've got sick thoughts in their head not yeah. saying it to someone in the street, right? Because they have the power on social media. It's a very interesting take. I've never really thought of it, I'll be honest, like no, that. Have I. And look, I've got a world exclusive from Flemish founder, Sammy James, go. on how Sammy, to fix Sammy social James media. Fix social. <laughs> there we go. I mean, we could keep talking about that topic all night long. I know right. we're a little bit pushed for times. So I'm going to try and come towards the end of the, end of the pod now. Um, one last thing on kind of podcasting, um, I wanted to touch on was whether or not you guys kind of had any people reaching out to you. You've both got big followings and kind of that rich piece that we've talked about during the lockdown. I know personally, I found podcasting. I, I listen to Costello and Bunce's boxing podcast every Monday. I really enjoy it. When I was on furlough, great pod. Love it. Absolutely love it. Bunce's energy is really good. And Costello is just a genius. I think during the first lockdown and on, on furlough and those feelings of kind of frustration anxiety, uh, the unknown going forward. We're all flying about. Everyone was going for a walk, right? I used to stick my podcast in and that was a little bit of routine and a little bit of regularity that I had that kind of, I guess, put those thoughts to bed, those uncertainties and anxieties to bed. So I wanted to know if you two had experienced in lockdown, maybe a, I guess, an uptake in terms of people reaching out and looking for that community that they were missing. 
Yeah, I, I think absolutely. And and actually, weirdly, I, I hit a bit of a, you know, a bump in the road uh, a couple of months ago and I just had a really bad Friday. It wasn't, you know, I'm lucky enough that, you know, my uh, I've been pretty solid, pretty stable through this. And even with losing my job and whatever, it's been it's been okay. I, I, I've been pretty comfortable in in many ways. And I hit a bump on something small and, and I was just like, it's rubbish. You know, I was real rubbish there. It'd been like, I think it's been three weeks since Fulham had won. And actually it goes to show, right, how sport can actually affect you in, in so many ways. It's not even just the Fulham, it's been a couple of weeks since Fulham had won. Ireland had lost in the Six Nations. Fiorentina had lost. Betis had lost. I was just really grumpy. And I was just like, I just want to win a game. I just, just, and I posted these things of like all of my, like the, all the teams I support being like, this is genuinely just incredibly disappointing. I was really disheartened. And I posted something else later on and I got an absolute flood of messages from people being like, hope you're all right. And I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just grumpy. And it was nice that a lot of people were just like, look, your podcast throughout all of this has, has kept me listening. And it's been something that, that I've gone to every week to just to display. And actually, when we started the, the Patreon on ranks go to three times a week, a lot of people were like, this is exactly what I needed. I just needed, you know, once a week is great. But the routine of being able to tune into that on a Monday morning, a Friday, Wednesday morning, a Friday morning, it's just like they just pin my week and I'm yeah. OK with that. And it makes me just comfortable and and you know the, that uptake and that response actually really kind of was like oh like you know that that that's a big thing to consider and suddenly it's like okay this doesn't just mean what it means to me it means what it means for for a lot of people and and that's the it's, it's pressure in some ways i think i, I don't mm. think of it like that I, I i've always thought of that as an amazing thing that you know i me chatting about football with two of my best mates or chatting about fulham with another load of my best mates is helping keep people you know steady and that's an incredible amount of you know I, I'm, I'm incredibly blessed to, to have that in my life so I, i'm just grateful you, know, you get these messages and that you sit down and especially the next morning i woke up and read through them and I've been asleep and I was like it's pretty powerful so yeah it, it, I, I'm just incredibly grateful that people want to one listen to me chat shit about football and, and two that it helps them you know as much as it helps me yeah I did a message on Fulhamish it was the well, it was the Sunday it was the day that Boris basically said that Christmas was cancelled and that tier four was a thing in terms of the UK's COVID and hit me hard but not that hard really but it was it was sad you know we were supposed to go to my wife's parents for Christmas and we suddenly couldn't like pretty much everyone was was affected by this in in some way and I did a message on the podcast partially for my own sanity but I just said like if there's anyone over Christmas that like is just on their own or whatever like Fulhamish is a bit more than just a podcast like just dm us right send us a message and I've made a promise that like we'll respond and that's quite a big promise because actually we get a lot of messages that we can't respond to because there's too many on it, particularly instagram but i said send us a message we're going to check it all through christmas and someone from the team will just get back to you and chat full and we don't even need to chat about your mental health whatever Mm. we'll just like if you want to just talk to us and say like why is Abubakar Kamara coming off the bench for Fulham? We'll come back to you and, and chat to you. And actually, the response was actually mostly people just saying, I don't need to chat, but thank you for putting that message out there. It was really nice. And 
a lot of these people that I've never messaged before that, that there's, there's a lot of silent listeners to podcasts that only come out of the woodwork every now and again. And sometimes you get a bit depressed because the same three people often tweet you back every podcast and say great podcast. And you think, am I just making a podcast for four people here? But you forget about that silent majority. But once in a while, you give them a reason to message you. And it was really nice to realize actually there is a great little community of Fulham fans out there. And and what I, what I love about Fulhamish is that I feel like sometimes we're not the hub for Fulham fans, but we are a platform where Fulham fans connect and they connect with us and we're there like inside to the club and the community as a whole and and I think podcasting has an enormous appeal because it's a silent mp3 file it was not a silent mp3 file hopefully but it's an mp3 file that you stick out into the world and you don't know who's listening at what time and where and when just anyone with access to a phone can listen to it and you don't realize kind of who's interacting with that and that is the beauty of the medium and whilst yes anyone could be watching a youtube video likewise there is just something about the intimacy of podcasts as you said tom you put it on in your ears as you go for a walk it literally joins you on a walk and not many other mediums i don't think any other medium can really do that and every medium is special in its own way i love radio and it's also special in a really unique way as well but there's something incredible about podcasting and that connection that you can get. And the, the, the connection that Jack's built with his ranks audience is fantastic. And he's got like 16 year olds paying five quid a month because he, he loves it so much. And a, a, an audience demographic that's famously hard to connect with. And he's got them. He's got the meeting out the palm of his hand, chatting football nonsense every week. I, I, and it's, I don't it's want that analogy see. being thrown around. Preferably. <laughs> Well, Jack, what Jack's done is is taking advantage of those sixteen-year-olds, and uh, and that's how he's built a community. All right, Sam, easy. Uh- I know, I know it sounds weird, but you have. And it's a really impressive thing that you've done, that you've got a really young fan base to your podcast kind of engaged on such a regular basis and, and listening to you guys and stuff. And, that, and, and that's the impressive thing about podcasting. And I'm sure, Tom, that you've built the same with Talking One for the Team. And over time, you'll build a community and stuff. And that's, that's the wonderful thing about like, podcasting. And just to say as well, like, I think having those shows and having that kind of... I understand what you mean about the responsibility piece because... It was quite, I mean, I've, I've had some feedback, mostly from friends and, and kind of uh, family, but also some people who I, ha- I don't know who have messaged me and said, oh, I really enjoyed the pod. Talking about the topic that I'm talking about, talking about losing dad and the struggles that I've kind of been through, it's really gratifying. And I think, yeah, that, that intimacy piece of a podcast is so true because it gave people, especially in the last year, that community that they, that they missed, right? And you guys know more than most because you run a really successful football podcast when there's no fans at games now. So it gave people the opportunity to connect. I'm going to finish up with, I was going to talk about the Euros, but we're running out of time. And I want to know, basically, in one word, if England are going to win the Euros, yes or no? And if not, who is? Jack, you're going first. No, Italy. Wow, Italy. You're the first person I've heard say Italy. Like this Italy team a lot. I actually think Portugal would be my that serious guess, but like I'm really, really into the idea of Italy winning this, so I'm going to go with them. Okay. Look, I am not quite as clued up on international football as Jack. It probably is a bit churlish to say England are going to win the Euros, but I mean, it's it's coming home. It's coming. Home. I mean, it's on to it's Scotland on... to Scotland where football was actually great. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why. I feel that England this summer will do well, whether they win it or not. I guess we'll come down to luck in those final matches. But I think the allure of home soil for, for the semi-finals and final will definitely, I'd have thought, helped 
England and, and given everything that's gone on in the last year, I just can see England doing quite well because we do have quite a lot of good players but that is probably foolish English optimism before a major tournament which happens every two years um, and I will look silly in the quarterfinals when we lose to Croatia. Banged out to Denmark in the quarterfinals <laughs> when, when Southgate decides to play five at the back against a side that is clearly inferior and loses 1-0 to a header from Kasper Dolberg. Bang. Well, there, there we go. It's written in the stars now. It's definitely written in the stars. Just for my opinion, I think Portugal are going to do it. That's just who I've got in my head. I hope I'm wrong. I hope England go and cheer the whole country up because God knows we've needed it after the last year. And this is the final section. I'm just going to say before we, we do this, just thanks so much for coming on, guys. Um, it's been a real pleasure. And yeah, I mean, I think what you two have probably done for your communities respectively has probably, maybe you two even underappreciate it because I just know how important that kind of community piece was for me in the last year. So kudos to you. And the final section, I'm going to ask Sammy first. We've been doing it every show so far, and it's called How Sports Saved My Life. And the hypothetical situation this week is, if you were stuck in Jurassic Park, which sports person would you want with you to make it out alive? And maybe there are no sports people that are going to get you out of it, but I want to know who you'd take. I've thought about this. I thought long and hard about it. And, you know, your instant ones would be like, or maybe a boxer or something like that, or someone that can run really fast that maybe could could outrun the dinosaurs. But I've gone with a bit of a left field. (laughs) I've gone for Maria Sharapova. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to need some some reasoning. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So this is for two reasons. First of all, dinosaurs make big, scary noises. And so does Maria Sharapova when playing tennis. (laughs) And I'm and I'm thinking that somehow, Marie, if I could tell Maria to Sharapova to make the noise that she does when hitting like a backhand, then maybe it might just scare off the Tyrannosaurus Rexes that are roaming the place, or they might just think that she's one of their own and mm-hmm. leave her alone, which would be good. Also, Jurassic Park in the jungle, lots of big, scary flying things. I'm terrified of things like wasps, hornets, anything that flies, basically. And so if she had a racket on her. I reckon that she could bat them away whilst we run. And then I will, you know, it, at least I might be eaten by a dinosaur, but at least I'm not going to get stung by a hornet because Maria Sharapova will have batted it away. Can you get Kaz in here? Because I just want to tell your wife that you're trying to get yourself locked <laughs> on an island with Maria Sharapova. Uh, uh, Caroline is actually working right here and heard the whole thing. So, yeah, she's fully aware. I just thought that she had the loudest grunt. So I thought, I mean, I, went, I nearly went with Andy Murray because he's kind of got like a low one. But I thought that the dinosaurs wouldn't think he's one of their kind. You wouldn't want to worry about the dinosaurs. You'd probably be bored to death with Andy. So I think you've made a good choice there. <laughs> um, and Jack, I'm going to finish with you. I'm going with CJ Stander. Now, this is a man who I would literally go to war for, despite having never met him. Obviously, he played for Munster, who my team in Ireland, played for Ireland for years, worn the armband. He just looks like the kind of man that would run through a dinosaur and keep going. And, and that's key. In his, and that's key in this example. I just am expecting that CJ would just clear the way. And I will just be able to sort of meekly follow after him being like, cheers, CJ, mate. Like, I really appreciate it. He comes across like a nice geezer. He's obviously recently retired from rugby in order to you know, move home to, to look after his, his newly born children. And he wants to move back to be closer to his wife. So, you know, it does feel like he's someone who genuinely cares about others. Uh, and he is a man that I would follow to the ends of the earth. So for me, it's got to be CJ Stander. Hey, perfect. Look. Those two answers, in a nutshell, are why I do the How Sports Saved My Life section, because they 
both made sense in a very roundabout way and they had me in stitches <laughs> as well so yeah wrapping up now but thanks very much for for joining guys and um yeah now we can actually catch up for a pint in real life in the next couple of weeks hopefully thanks for having uh, us though it's been cheers been Tom. nice one bye-bye bye shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk Sports Social Podcast Network